Hello, and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and Hesternal, Mulder and I went on a five-mile boat rafting trip. Hesternal? Pertaining to yesterday. Oh, I guess that makes sense. I mean, I probably used it wrong, but, and we didn't actually go on a boat. We were on floaties. Oh. And Mulder was running along the side of the bank. Mm-hmm. And swimming the whole time. He is wow. tired today. That is impressive. Yeah. Um, he There was a one time where I lost sight of him for a second. And I mm-hmm. freaked out. And he had gone up on the shore in, the, in some bushes. And when he came back, he was covered in, like, gray sludge. Gross. I don't know what he got into. <laughs> but anyways, we made it, though. And um, next time I might do it differently. I might actually get a raft and make him sit in it. Yeah, that would make sense. Because <laughs> he, I mean, he's like, he's physically fit enough to do it, but there were just a few times where I got nervous. Oh, yeah. I would be so scared to, like, not have my dog right there with me. Yeah. I mean, he he's following us around the whole time, mm-hmm. but still. Anyways. But, yeah. What did you do hesternally? Hesternally. Um, actually, my dog and I went on a nice three-mile walk along the river. Which yesterday. river? Um, along the Mackenzie River. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's near the, that's along the river that Diane Downs was driving on uh, Marcola Road. It is. It's the same, same one. Same river. Yep. Beautiful about river. five minutes from my house. Nice. So. Well, um, we are back with our final part of Diane Downs. Yes, we are. Four parts she became. Um. Before we start, why don't you give me a question, Courtney? Question time. So, Trisha, if you could be invisible for a day, what would you do? Who would I spy on is what you're asking. (laughs) Um, Hmm. Gosh, I don't, I don't know. Trying to think of who I find, whose life I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, let me pause for just a second. Okay, so right now I'm watching Welcome to Wrexham, I think is what it's called. It's like Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds bought mm. a professional soccer ke- team in in Wales. Right. And it might be kind of cool to be like really behind the scenes on what's going on because it's a pretty interesting show. And they have a really good dynamic and camaraderie because they're so um, funny and they're also both like, in my opinion, very good looking. So maybe mm. be, being invisible in that room with them might be kind of fun. Mm, very interesting. I guess. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> I honestly feel like I would be much more boring. And I would most likely just want to go to all the places that I want to go where I don't want to have to interact with people. Like where I wish that I could just be alone and like no one would talk to me and wouldn't have to share space, but, like, they wouldn't know I was there, so I could still, like, go where I wanted. Which is most places. Which is most places, yeah. (laughs) Right? Because we're going back to your social anxiety (laughs) and maybe a little introversion. Definitely the introversion, I think, more. Definitely had a moment yesterday walking along the river Mm. where it was, like, it would be, like, nice to just, like, go off on one of the little, like, pathways off the main path and, like, sit by the water Mm -hmm. but every single one of those that I passed had other people already at them yeah 
It'd be cool also to be invisible if you went hiking and then nothing could see you so you wouldn't be scared or I wouldn't be of either people with, you know, nefarious thought patterns or animals that Mm. want to eat me. That's true. So hiking is, I think, a good idea. Yeah, that would also be nice. Yeah, or like what you did, yeah. Okay, well, thanks, Courtney, for that question. Made me have to think. Yeah, I try and come up with ones sometimes that aren't obvious. I I try, but I fail. So, you know, um, that's what happens after we're almost like to 100 episodes. Right, exactly. <laughs> we Google questions to ask on first dates. I've done that before. <laughs> I have some saved, like, list bookmarked, so definitely. Man. Uh, Well, do you want to give us a recap over everything we've learned about Diane before we finish up? Yes. So over the past three episodes, we learned that Diane had an emotionally neglectful childhood and was sexually abused at the hands of her father. She married to get out of the house, but that relationship ended up being bad as well. Diane had three children had an abortion, and carried a surrogate baby, and she was very much in love with being pregnant and not so much in love with actually being a mother. After her divorce, she had multiple affairs with married men, moved to Oregon, and remained obsessed with her most recent fling. And then at the end of the last episode, we left Diane at the hospital, claiming to have been attacked by a would-be carjacker who shot her and all three of her children. Right. The shaggy-haired stranger. So Diane has taken her children to Mackenzie Willamette Medical Center in Springfield, Oregon, after the shaggy-haired stranger shot them, the children, and Diane in the arm, so she says. Cheryl unfortunately succumbed to her injuries and sadly had passed away by the time she got to the hospital, but Danny and Christy were still alive, albeit in very bad shape. Christy was unresponsive and had been shot twice in the chest and once in the hand, Um, In fact, she was very close to death. She had no blood pressure and occasionally gasped for breath. Her lungs had been horribly damaged by the bullets and she was not getting air. Her heart then stopped. Her face turned blue. Her pupils were fixed and dilated. Dr. Wilhite arrived and put a chest tube through her skin and into her lung. He pulled out a lot of blood. Another was inserted into the other lung. She was given a blood infusion and her heart did begin to beat. Her blood pressure started to rise and her pupils were reacting to light so she she ultimately had survived but it was very close she lost a lot of blood dr Mackey worked on danny he had a bullet hole near his spine and was struggling to breathe his heart rate was high and little danny was very scared his lung had also been damaged and a chest tube was inserted to remove the blood and that helped a little bit It was too soon to tell if he would walk as the bullet hit near his T6 and T7 vertebrae. T, I believe, stands for thoracic. Diane had been shot in the left forearm. Somehow, that wound had been wrapped in a towel prior coming to the hospital. She was tended to by a hospital worker who was not a clinician, but just to kind of clean the arm for now. Uh, She would need surgery very soon. So by this time, the police were called, and Detective Dick Tracy... Poor guy with that name. But anyways, that was his name. Or amazing. Yeah. I mean, it just depends. <laughs> uh, I guess like Tracy, the, the I don't think that the movie had come out yet. Because I remember it came out when I was a kid. And this was a 1980-ish. So maybe, maybe. it was okay for like. But then it was a, it was a, it was a book, comic. Right? Yeah. So never mind. Anyways, 
he noted how calm, how calm Diane seemed. So she was very composed for having just lost a child and having two who were critically injured. Diane answered the questions efficiently and with what they noted as great recall. She had the gunpowder residue test done on her and they were negative, but I believe she had them done after that um, worker had cared to her wounds and had like cleaned it. Right. Right. So I don't know how conclusive that was. She repeated her story that she was driving around on Marcola Road at night when a shaggy haired stranger flagged her down and demanded her car. She said no. He then fired shots at her children. When she pretended to throw the keys away to distract him, he shot two more times and got her in the arm. She pushed him off, got into the car and sped away to the hospital. She agreed to let the police search her home and car. She was very cooperative at this point in time. When the police entered Diane's apartment, they were kind of surprised at how sparse it was. They had been there for a while, so there should have been more than there was, and there was very little in the way of furniture and even less food. It didn't look like a home for three three kids and their mom. There were very few pictures and mementos around, but one thing did catch the detective's eye. A unicorn statue that had been engraved just a week before sat on the TV. It said, quote, Christy, Cheryl, and Danny. I love you, Mom. May 13th, 1983. It would be speculated later on that this statue was in some sort a memento or memorial for what Diane knew she was going to do to her children. Courtney, do you want to add anything? You know, many people comment on Diane's affect that night at the hospital, most being suspicious or kind of put off by her calm and seemingly emotionless behavior in you know, and her ability to recount the incident. And while there is no normal way to react to trauma, different people react differently. This response is not normal for Diane. You know, if we think about how she's acted in the past when faced with traumatic or emotionally charged events, she's historically been much more dysregulated, um, yelling and crying and screaming. And, you know, we talked a lot about her you know, fights with her ex-husband where they threatened to kill each other and she tried to run him over and, like, all of these really big emotional expressions came out. So. I didn't think about that, but you're right. She is, if anything, when triggered, very dramatic, very emotional, very loud, um, over the top. Right, exactly. So that's what one would have expected to see from Diane specifically, yeah. in this case, at the thought of like being attacked and shot and her children being shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. And, you know, the detectives didn't know her at this point, but even, you know, and like you said, everyone agrees differently, deals with things differently, processes things differently. No one will know until they're in that situation how they might be. But they definitely thought that it was a red flag of how calm she was for a mom to have had all of this just happen. Right, exactly. And that will be a theme. Yes. (laughs) The next morning after the incident, Diane called the Chandler, Arizona post office and got Rob on the phone and told him what happened. He didn't know what to do. Steve was later notified and questioned by the police. It was a slow-moving investigation. It was such an uncommon type of crime. It was kind of hard to know where to start. The surviving children were still in the ICU when Christy hooked up to all kinds of tubes and wires or Christy was all, was hooked up to all kinds of tubes and wires. She was awake, but she could not yet speak. 
Diane visited her when she was allowed and grabbed Christy's hand and stared down at her saying over and over again, quote, Christy, I love you. I love you. A cop who was in the room later said this, quote, I happened to glance at the heart rate monitor. The pulse when Diane came in was 104 times a minute. When Diane took hold of her and kept telling her that, that jumped to 147 beats a minute. It took a long time for it to drop back down after her mother went back to her own room. So the the cop later speculated that it was a fear response that made Christy's heart rate jump like that. What do you think, Courtney? A change in heart rate like that definitely could be an indication of anxiety or fear. Um, one could argue that it could also be excitement, but given everything um, and given how long it took to calm back down afterwards, mm-hmm. I would guess that fear was probably correct. Of main concern to the police was finding the main, the murder weapon. They searched the area where Diane, excuse me, they searched the area where Diane had said the incident occurred. They were able to find shells from the bullets, but nothing else. They searched the river and the road, but they never found, nor would they ever find the gun used in the shooting. They spent over 1,100 man hours looking for that piece of evidence. As I said earlier, Diane seemed very calm after what had happened, and she seemed to be improving in her demeanor rapidly after that night. She did not act like a person who had witnessed children, her children, in fact, being shot and one of them being killed. Eventually, Christy would recover somewhat. She had suffered a stroke during her time in the hospital and struggled to speak and had to relearn quite a few things. She also would have a weak side. Danny, unfortunately, would never walk again and would be bound to a wheelchair because of his injuries. Diane would require surgery to her arm that had been shot, but she was otherwise fine. In an interview with Ann Bradley, Diane complains about how unlucky she was getting shot. She couldn't tie her shoes for a damn month. She said her children had been lucky. It's a very bizarre interview. Um, I'll link it in the show notes. It takes place before the arrest, before any arrests were made. And she seems too, um, you know, just too light and airy for the situation at hand. There's also a video of her showing the police how she got away from the shaggy-haired stranger using the car as the prop. She is seen laughing and jumping around, and this is very shortly after the shooting. Police learned about her obsession with Robert, and he expressed that he was now concerned that Diane would come after his wife or him and kill them. He was convinced that she was capable of murder. Her children's reactions to their mother were confusing, and at some point she was not permitted to be around her children. In fact, they became wards of the state and were living with a foster family. Still, no arrests were made for several months. Fred Hughey was the DA on the case, and he needed that smoking gun, literally. He was convinced that Diane had shot her kids. Her story just didn't check out. The little forensic evidence that they did have pointed to Diane. Blood splatter found on the car did not match Diane's tale of what happened. Christy was who they needed to come forward and tell them what happened. Unfortunately, Christy wasn't talking about that night. In fact, she was still struggling with speech altogether after her injuries. She was working with a psychologist and some others and did express that Diane was an abusive mother, but she seemed to be afraid to reveal what she remembered on the night in question. Okay, Courtney, that was a lot. Um, what did I leave out? I'm trying to paint a picture that the police and the DA just weren't buying what Diane was saying happened. Her attitude, her story that changed frequently, her past behavior it was just fishy. They felt that she had shot her children in hopes of killing them so that she could be with her lover. 
So tying back um, to the last episode where we talked about the belief that Diane has histrionic personality disorder, we can look at her behavior through this lens. In the interview with Anne Bradley, for me, one of the things that stuck out the most was that Diane found a way to make every part of the story be about herself. You know, it was her experience, her feelings, her pain. You know, the shaggy-haired man didn't attack her family. He attacked her. Her two surviving children weren't separated from their mother. They were taken away from her. You know, she was being mistreated by the police. And this all kind of ties back to that main component of HPD, which is there being a compulsive need to be the center of attention at all times. And uh, at this time, Diane was quick to pretty much do any interview that came her way. Like, she enjoyed the spotlight, it seemed. Absolutely. And she was not a stilted talker. She would talk and talk Mm -hmm. and talk. And I'm not going to lie, listening to her interviews, they, like, I found her interesting. Like, she held my attention. Yes. She was... Partially because of her affect and the way that she was telling a story was so bizarre, but she's in, she's not boring like Gary Ridgway. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to him talk, like oh my right, gosh. she's very animated mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. So okay, well, Diane was not idle during this time of the investigation. You know, while they were trying to figure out how to make an arrest, the state had taken her children from her and put them in a foster home. Well, Diane could remedy that. She found a man with whom she could have relations with, and yes, she did get pregnant. Again. Diane pulled her usual stalking routine, and the man, who in the book is called Matt, freaked out to the point where he moved 20 miles away and didn't tell her. In the interview with Ann Bradley, Diane said this about getting pregnant. Quote, I got pregnant because I miss Christy, and I miss Danny, and I miss Cheryl so much. I'm never going to see Cheryl on Earth again. I just, you can't replace children, but you can replace the effect they give you. And they give me love. They give me satisfaction. They give me stability. They give me a reason to live and a reason to be happy. And that's gone. They took it from me. But children are so easy to conceive. Courtney? This is another great example of the selfishness involved with histrionic personality disorder. Her kids were taken from her because she was abusive to them and they'd been shot. But rather than focus on, you know, doing whatever she needed to do to get custody of them back, Um, or even just truly grieving the loss of Cheryl, she was more concerned with making herself feel better. Pregnancy made her happy, and she could live in the fantasy of this baby being the one who would love her perfectly when her other children obviously could not. So, you know, who needs her other children when she can have this one? And do you think that's, like, in her mind, whenever she did conceive a baby, she was just doing this fantasy where this is going to be the perfect one. This is going to make me whole. This is going to be what what makes me feel good. I think so. I think that was at least part of it for mm-hmm. her. So she was living in a dream world in the future. And then when it, the reality would set in and it would never be what she wanted, she'd get bored and she'd discard kind of. Right. Yeah, she expected that having a child would give her that unconditional love and adoration that she was craving. Um, but, you know, children are children, right. and, and that's not how it works. 
Christy had been working hard with learning to trust again, and finally it paid off. She was able to demonstrate on a make-believe car what had happened that night. She pantomimed being her mom and shooting her three kids. It was enough. She was able to be a witness for the grand jury. Christy and DA Fred Hoogie at this time were becoming closer together. She was starting to open up, and she was starting to know that he genuinely cared about her. The grand jury came together and heard Robert Knickerbocker's testimony on January 27th. Diane's parents testified a month later, and then she was officially charged with murder, two charges of attempted murder and two charges of assault in the first degree. It took about nine months to finally make this arrest, but it happened. Courtney? I just want to shift the focus away from Diane for a second and want to say how incredible Christy was. It must have taken so much courage and strength to testify at such a young age and against her own mother. And that's amazing. Right. At this point, it was just for the grand jury, but we will see just how amazing she is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So now we're in a trial, into the trial period. That was a spectacle, especially because Diane was very, very pregnant. (laughs) Diane was housed in the Lane County Jail awaiting her trial. Her cottage grow friends never visited. Her brother did, and her parents she spoke to on the phone. Of course, she wasn't allowed to talk to her surviving children, and all she really had at this point was her attorney. Diane was lonely. Diane, of course, needed a man. Even though she was six months pregnant, she wanted a male to want her. Courtney, when we covered Randall Woodfield, we learned then about this romance. So out there, if you haven't listened to the I-5 killer case, I think it's a really, it's one of my favorite cases. I I hate to say it that way, but it's one of the (laughs) cases that I found the most fascinating and I encourage you to check it out. So anyways, Randall Woodfield, AKA the I-5 killer was in the Oregon state penitentiary after being convicted of rape, murder, and a whole bunch of other things. And he started to write to Diane, giving him the self, giving himself the nickname squirrely in his letters. One of the things we went over with Randall Woodfield was that he was a voyeur and also most likely suffered from HPD as well. The letters he sent to Diane were pornographic. He also probably sent her dick pics because that was the kind of thing that he did. Diane responded in kind, and the two became erotic pen pals that were in prison or on their way to prison for murder. It got to the point that there was even talk of an engagement between the two and how their babies would look. Eventually, Randy would ditch Diane, embarrassing her by acting like their relationship meant nothing. It was his way of getting back at women, I suppose. Um, You know, kind of like the way that Diane would mark and scratch her men to get back at all men. Courtney, do you think HPD, uh, like two individuals HPD, are more attracted to each other than not? How would that relationship look if they were under normal circumstances, like not murder charges, and actually tried to be a couple? You know, in the beginning of a relationship, two people with HPD would likely get along very well. Both would be leading with sexuality, and this kind of flirtation and physical connection in a regular world where they're both not in jail could be very strong and exciting. But after a while, the constant mood swings, emotional outbursts, and each person's need to be the center of attention would likely make an ongoing relationship very difficult. Yeah, I can see that. The trial started, and Diane looked nothing like a killer. She was a massively pregnant woman and looked innocent. She was wearing, like, 
cute little baby blue dresses with like sailor yep. anchors Floral on Floral maternity yeah. wear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Witnesses were called, hospital workers, people who spoke of how, di- how odd Diane acted after her children were shot and killed. Forensic evidence is presented, motives are argued, all the things. But the main thing that made the state's case was Christie's testimony. The book Small Sacrifices quotes Christie's testimony, and I I thought about putting it here, but it's really long, and um, it's a child being questioned, so it's it's kind of indirect in a way. Um, So I didn't do it, but but I'll just tell you, sum up what she said. So um, Christie said that of that night, Diane stopped the car. She got something out of the she got something out of the trunk and then she came back to the car door. She had on the song Hungry Like the Wolf by Duran Duran playing in the tape deck. And apparently Diane's uh, favorite song at this time was Hungry Like the Wolf. Christy said her mom shot Cheryl first. And after that, she leaned over the back seat and shot Danny. And then when Fred Hugie asked, who shot you? She said, my mom. At this time, it was noted that nearly everyone in the courtroom was crying, including the reporters and many of the police officers. When the jury, you know, has heard, like, they then heard the cross-examinations, and then other witnesses were called, and all the evidence, you know, all of the stuff happened. Um, On the cross-examination of Christie, it didn't really help the defense's case at all. At this point, everyone was just feeling so terrible for this child, and the, the defense attorney just kind of looked like a dick, the way that he was crossing Christie. Right. Um, so again, I'm sorry if I didn't give enough detail. Please read the book Small Sacrifices if you're interested in, you know, the full testimony because it goes it goes in there verbatim. So anyways, everything's heard. The jury is now deciding what to do. And they deliberated for many days. And I guess based on what Ann Rule says, when that happens, a lot of times it leads to a not guilty verdict. So that's what Diane was expecting when they finally came to a decision. She was due any time now to have her baby, and she fully expected to get her children back as well. Per the book, she was all smiles the day of the verdict until she heard the verdict. Quote, guilty of attempted murder in the first degree. Guilty of second of a second count of attempted murder in the first degree. Guilty of first degree assault. Guilty of first degree assault. Guilty of murder. Courtney? It must have struck her very hard to be found guilty. She really believed that she had fooled everyone, but she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, that's, it, I think that's where her narcissism plays in. Definitely. Which she'll be later diagnosed with. Is that like... Her incredulity. I know I said that wrong. Incredulity. Incredulousness, maybe? I can see it in my head. Mm -hmm. But anyways, her (laughs) disbelief um, that she could be found guilty, you know, that's just like that narcissistic community that we always hear about. And it's, yeah. Anyhow. So Diane gave birth 10 days later on June 27th, 1984 at Sacred Heart Hospital. And that's where I was born. Ooh. Yeah. So the baby's name was Amy Elizabeth Downs. Hours later, Diane was back in her jail cell. The baby would later be adopted out. The potential bio dad, Matt, real released any rights he had. He said he couldn't even be sure the baby was hers or his after all, because you know what Diane was doing. And I don't know that they had that DNA stuff back then for paternity. So 
At her sentencing, she was again assessed by a psychiatrist who gave the diagnosis of HPD, NPD, and ASPD. She got life plus 50 years with the requirement of serving at least 25 years before parole eligibility. She went to the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem, where she was a pretty good prisoner. Apparently, she had one write-up for facing the men's yard naked from the waist down, but that was later tossed out. Her and, and Randy Woodfield. I know. I know. It's so funny. Mirror images. Right? Yeah. Um, we did mention in Randy Woodfield's that he would, anytime a female guard would walk by his cell, he would take his clothes off for them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Three years in prison had changed Diane. She didn't look the same. She did interviews for a while, but as with everything else, her fame died away. Diane was ready for a change. So she scaled the 18-foot fence of the Oregon Penitentiary and escaped the prison. She was captured 10 days later, not far from the prison, at a fellow inmate's husband's house. So she, she, she had a friend in prison who told Diane where she had lived with her husband. And anyways, that's where Diane went. And she somehow convinced the guy to take her in. And not only that, he ended up falling in love with her after their week plus together. I'm assuming she tried to get pregnant again, but it didn't happen. But, like, how pissed off was her inmate friend for this betrayal by both of them? Diane's all about herself. Yeah, par for the course for Diane. She loved a married man. I know. Anyways, after that, she was transferred to a more secure secure facility across the country. She was transferred again and is now in California. She had been denied parole and will most likely spend the rest of her life in prison, but there's always that possibility. Um. Diane's surviving children, well, Christy and Danny anyways, were eventually adopted by Fred Hugie, the DA that really bonded, you know, they bonded over everything during that case and they just found love and family together. I think that's like the most um, heartwarming thing about this whole story. Yeah, I think so. That's just like, you don't see that very often. I mean, if, if ever, a district attorney defending children who they later adopt. Right, that would be a very rare thing I imagine um I kind of looked into why Steve didn't take his kids back but I guess he said he couldn't care for two children with special needs and Christy and Danny would have lifelong medical problems Christy reportedly is married with children but Danny has remained more private and I'm not sure about his status I believe Amy whose adopted name is Rebecca did an interview with ABC News where she shared that she had a very good childhood and is doing well so Courtney. Um, you know, you briefly mentioned it, but I do want to touch just a moment on the comorbid personality disorders that have been given to Diane because we didn't spend much time talking about it. Um, you know, it's it's not common for a person to be given three personality disorders, but that doesn't mean it isn't possible. You know, histrionic personality and narcissistic personality disorder are probably the closest when it comes to overlapping symptoms. Um, And it's super common for someone with HPD to also display higher levels of narcissistic traits, whether they have the full disorder or not. Um, I'm a little more skeptical about the antisocial personality disorder diagnosis that was given to Diane, mainly due to the just high levels of expressed emotion Mm -hmm. that Diane displayed. Um, You know, but I didn't examine her, um, so I can't say for sure, but... Either way, no matter what diagnoses she might have, Diane was certainly one of the worst mothers ever. Do you know, like, 
I mean, we, we see the, how antisocial personality disorder typically comes to fruition. You know, if, if you want to start with reactive attachment to conduct to ASPD. Mm-hmm. However, if that's not the route to antisocial personality disorder, can one have a more severe case as they get older? Like, I don't know how to explain this. Like, say you're 25 and you have like, five traits of ASPD can living with that and having more things happen to you, making you, I guess, harder and, um, less caring about the world around you could 10 years later, you now have like 10 traits for ASPD might so that you kind of grow into it. Or is that just not how it happens? Cause I'm wondering maybe Diane did meet more of the required traits or whatever in her older life, I don't know. Am I yes? Yeah, I know what you're. I know what you're saying. Um, and to be honest, I don't know for sure. Um, but I think it's definitely a possibility. You know, we look at um, the way that people always say, like prison changes you. Right. Like you might go in, like having done this one thing, mm-hmm. where you come out a much more like harder, cynical, right. like, type of person. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I suppose it's possible. Right. Um, and at the same time, some of the other traits of ASPD, like the impulsivity and things like that, tend to weaken as you get older and you become just more mature. Mm-hmm. So. Could go either way. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, that is the end of Diane Downs. Definitely an, inter- an interesting pick there, Trisha. Well, we had to do it. It was so big here. It was. And yeah, it ties in with Randall Woodfield, which was like when we read that in Randy Woodfield's case, I was like, what? Right? Because yeah. that's just, I mean, anyways. But on from her, and Courtney picked her next case. Yes. So I picked this case knowing. The name and general idea of the crimes, but not really knowing the full story. Um, So my clue for this next one is that this killer was cited as one of the six killers referenced to create the character of Buffalo Bill from The Silence of the Lambs. He was very interesting. I'm just finishing up the book. So we may not have this next Tuesday, but possibly. Yes, I know. We're all going through some life changes down here in Oregon. Yeah. It's so, hot, but <laughs> all right. So our schedule might be a little funky for the next little bit. Yes. Yes. We'll talk more about that maybe next time. Yes. Okay. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, please like, listen, follow, tell your friends and all of that good stuff. And we will hopefully see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.